welcome to episode 22 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm Bob Williams. And I'm the guy pressing the buttons. My name is Bob Seven. What's my name? My name is Bob Severns. Severns. Always has been. Severns. It's like sevens with an R. Yes. And it always has been. It has been for the last 30 years. Let's move along to this week in sports. This is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from every day of the past week, and our host will give a short comment on each of the days, starting with last Wednesday, Vikings and Patriots and talks about Randy Moss trade. What do you think, Bob? Well, we know in hindsight that it did actually happen. It didn't work out too well, but uh, good, good move for them going forward. I really, really thought that Bernard Berrien was their wide receiver of the future. I guess uh, don't get all the picks right. Randy Moss should be a good addition. Brett Favre likes to throw the ball, and uh, Randy Moss likes to complain when it doesn't get thrown, so sounds like a match made in heaven to me. On Thursday, a report Miami Heat guard Dwayne Wade says an MRI on his right hamstring is not needed. Matt? Latest reports are saying that uh, Dwayne Wade is healing. His hamstring injury is getting better, but he's not going to be back in the preseason. Believe it or not, I actually think this is significant because one thing that this team needs more than anything else is time to gel as a unit. And with Dwayne Wade out of the lineup, that's not going to happen. Yeah, but you got to make sure that he's healthy for the regular season. There's 82 games that, you know, they really don't need that much time more than the 82 games. So I don't think it's not that big of a deal right now. On Friday, the NFL's reviewing allegations of racy Brett Favre's messages. Can we can we just move on from Brett Favre? I've you know for the past three seasons, it's is he here? Is he not here? Is he here? Oh yeah, he is playing. He's not playing too well, but I think he needs to just focus on the game. And I think ESPN needs to realize that there's 29, actually 30 other teams, 32 other teams. Football doesn't revolve around Brett Favre. To me, this story is kind of interesting because the NFL and ESPN and all of the outlets reporting this story have been so slow to pick up on this because these messages surfaced, I believe, a month ago on Deadspin.com. There was a whole stink raise about it then, and it was just like ESPN and the NFL were plugging their ears and singing la 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 until finally some reporter brings it up in a press conference. On Saturday, San Diego Padres Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn diagnosed with cancer of his parotid salivary gland. Yeah, this is a really unfortunate story. Uh, Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest hitters of all time. Of course, he thinks that this came from the use of chewing tobacco, which I don't know about you, but I am shocked. Tobacco causing cancer? Who would have thought it? I I doubt you're really shocked, but, you know, (laughs) it's something that he, he used the products you know, and he went went down that road. He knew the, the outcomes, the circumstances of it. So it is sad that it happened to him. But hopefully, this leads you know the next generation of kids to not use chewing tobacco. Maybe I'm callous, but I don't feel bad, and I'm not sad for Tony Gwynn. I feel bad, and I'm sad for Tony Gwynn's family and close friends. On Sunday, Ohio State Buckeyes are now the new number one in the top 25 polls. Well, you know, at this point, who really is number one? As, as much as I am an Ohio State guy, right now their strength schedule is being talked about not being there. Uh, so I think it's a little bit too early to put too much into this. You have good teams like Oregon, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Boise, TCU, you know, even Michigan State who are all undefeated. Uh, they are just benefactors of being number two at the beginning of the preseason. So 
all these teams just need to step up and uh, keep keep winning. Then we'll talk about it at the end of the season. Unfortunately, I think this headline had about 95% of all college football fans rolling their eyes on Sunday morning. Uh, everybody's kind of, to be perfectly honest with you, they're kind of tired of seeing the Buckeyes in the top spot because it's never really turned out well. As, a, as an Ohio State guy myself, I personally would rather see them a little bit lower in the rankings just because um, they do a lot better in that underdog role. Well, reportedly on BCS rankings that they're talking about the legend that they're uh, ranks fifth or sixth. So based on that, that strength of schedule, again, just win out. We'll talk about this a few weeks from now. Yeah, the, the rumor I heard actually sa- said something similar, and it also said that Boise State might be number one. And if Ohio State's at five or six because they're strength of schedule, how does Boise State end at number one? Gotta love those computers. On Monday, Jed York of the San Francisco 49ers says his 49ers will still win the NFC West after their seemingly horrible start. I think there's I think there's something in that Bay Area water that leads owners to be delusional and uh, just downright idiotic. As crazy as it sounds, they're playing in the weak NFC West, so weirder things have happened. I, I don't think it's going to, but weirder things have happened. I guess to be fair, uh, was it last year or the year before? The year before last, Tennessee started off the season 0-6, finished 8-8, and NFC West, 8-8 might be good enough to win the division. Oh, I, I think if, if they're going to succeed in that, they have to get good quarterback play, whether it be from Alex Smith, uh, Carr, or even Troy Smith. But, you know, that that's what's going to ride on their season. They need a quarterback who's not going to completely implode. I think when you're in Jed York's position, you probably have to, at this point, um, try to instill somewhat of confidence in your players. You know, let them know that we still believe in you, um, even though the play is not necessarily moving up to some of the preseason hype there. In rounding the week off on Tuesday, confessions of a former NFL agent, Josh Lux, or Lukes, however you want to say that, this is a SI.com article. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about it, Bob? Uh, pretty much it details this gentleman, Josh, uh, his entire, or snippets of his entire career as, as an NFL agent, from him starting off as a uh, youngster at 20, going and to the University of Colorado and sort of recruiting or helping out a player that was still in college. And it goes through you know, his actual life's not lifespan, but work span, and it's a tell-all of a lot of different stuff. Uh, I know there's Ryan Leaf material, there's uh, Santonio Holmes, and even Mel Kuyper is, is in there, but I think it's just this guy might be blowing a little hot wind for, uh, for, for some money for a book. I'm interested to see what the fallout's going to be from this article. Uh, we've already seen reports from ESPN.com that they are looking into what could possibly some be some inappropriate relationships between Mel Kuyper and some of the agents that represent some of the kids in the draft, uh, possibly having him raise the stock of players that are represented by his quote-unquote friends in the business. But uh, more importantly, I kind of want to see what the NCAA has to say. It has written documentation at this point in time that Players at the University of Colorado and some other schools have taken payment uh, while they were still amateur status players in NCAA sports. I think it's still hearsay, though, even though it's a story, right? I mean, they not necessarily written documentation, but it's out there. So Fair now, enough. So now there's uh, an avenue that maybe they're going to open up some investigations into these allegations. Right. right. And that wraps the week up. 
We're now going to move to our to the point section. This section is where we have an open format chat of the main points in sports this past week. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of a more flexibility and opinion than that rigid style we just got through. Let's get started on our to the point section. So the NL and ALDS series are pretty much wrapped up at this point. Um, I was a little bit excited coming in because I thought the matchups looked pretty good on paper. Uh, as it turns out, only one of the series goes to five. That, of course, being Tampa and Tampa and Texas, who are playing as we speak. Texas holding a one-run lead in the bottom of the second. Pitching has been the biggest uh, trend that I've seen so far. A lot of dominant pitching performances in the first round so far. Yeah, we have uh, Roy Halladay's no-hitter. You know, only the second time in postseason history. Uh, you have Cliff Lee, who did a shutout the first game. So, you know, he could easily do that tonight for, you know, a second win there so to push Texas along. But pitching wins championships based on everything that we always hear. It's going to come down to the pitching. And some of these teams that the pitchers have actually taken on, you have Minnesota, who's really not an offensive juggernauts. Uh, even... The, 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 the surprising thing is Halliday's no-hitter. You know, it's the vaunted Cincinnati Reds. That's all we talked about this entire summer was how good the Reds' offense was, and he shut up, you know, no-hit him. Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a hell of a performance by Halliday. Uh, there was a little bit of speculation from Orlando Cabrera that uh, maybe the umpires were giving him the calls and that uh, helped him on his way to a no-hitter, but uh, sounds like sour grapes to me. I was going to say, I don't know. I was watching this game in a sports bar, and he was looking at least at the end of the game, which is the part that I caught, like he had lights out stuff. The interesting thing to me is that in this sports bar, nobody around seemed to be showing any sort of interest that, that, that we were witnessing history. I think they said something like this is the first time since 1956. I tell you what, I was I was jumping up and down on the inside. I'm like, yeah, man, go for it. And it, I tell you what, it was really exciting to see. Took that opportunity to talk to my kids about what was going on, even though they're not, you know, real big baseball fans and know what's going on. And I don't know. I thought it was a, just a really special thing to see. I was happy for uh, Halliday and the Phillies. But the Phillies the past couple of years have just really hit the jackpot on postseason pitching. Uh, two years ago, it was Cole Hamels who just ripped them through the uh, National League playoffs. Uh, last year, of course, Cliff Lee took them all the way to the World Series. And this year, it looks like Roy Halladay is their guy. Interestingly enough, uh, game, what was it, game three, Cole Hamels had a solid, solid game, picked just a complete game shutout and only gave up five hits. So I think the Phillies pitching staff is looking like the staff to beat. Most definitely. I go back to your sour grapes there with the Orlando Cabrera comment. Uh, if these weren't established pitchers, okay, maybe there might be no track record, but we have track records on both Roy Halladay and Cole Hamels that when they get their stuff going on a, on any given night, they're going to have these type of performances no matter what type of hitters they're, they're facing. Well, here's a question for you, Bob, then. Because in the NBA, it's a known commodity that star players get calls. It's a known entity. Everyone knows it. You deal with it. You work around it. You do whatever you can. But you just at, at the end of the day, there's no point in fighting it. It's what happens. I don't know that I could say the same for football. I don't know that uh, star players in football get calls any better than anybody else. 
But is that a factor, do you think, in Major League Baseball, especially maybe in the postseason where you've got pitchers who maybe um, maybe they're a little bit more friendly with the refs, maybe they're just superstars, they have that, uh, that great persona or the great uh, legacy that precedes them, and uh, the umps are just more willing to uh, loosen up that strike zone for them? You could say that, you know, I I don't have any actual hard evidence on that, but I, I could easily be swayed that way. But you also have to take into the fact that typically in baseball nowadays, it's not, oh, hey, yeah, we have our superstar pitchers. It's all about the bats. We want the superstar home run guys. So I, I think it could go either way if, if there is a bias. So, but I, I, could total, I could totally see it. Yeah, and if you're if you're looking at that, I, I don't know that there's more than one guy on the Cincinnati Reds that would get the benefit of the call over uh, Roy Halladay. That, of course, being Joey Votto. But, um, you know, maybe there maybe there's something to it. But the thing about it is, even if there is something to it, much like the way that the NBA uh, has, has panned out over the last decade or two, um, if, it, if it is something where, you know, your star pitchers get a, a better strike zone than your weak, weaker pitchers, then that's just something you have to accept and deal with. Because at the end of the day, nobody's going to look at this game and say, oh, well, they, they were calling a good strike zone for him, so Cincinnati really won that game. Nobody's going to look at it that way. you got to just suck it up and deal with it if you're Cabrera. Not shocked at that result at all. Um, the one that I was sort of surprised about was uh, San Francisco beating the Braves. And not even in an unconvincing fashion. They uh, they handled them, I thought, with relative ease. The one game that Atlanta win, won, it took them 11 innings to do it. They were, they were you know, all their games were low-scoring affairs where pitching controlled the games. Um, I, I assumed that Atlanta was going to have a little bit more offense to, to propel them, but they were done in by their defensive miscues. Right. Uh, which one was a game three where the Brooks kid from Atlanta had three errors that cost them the game? Yeah, their second baseman. Three errors. How how do you do that? Well, to be fair, he's a he's a third stringer. He's not uh, not a guy who should be seeing any postseason action. It's just he was forced into it because of circumstances. But agreed, you're a big league player. You're making a decent amount of money, and you're you're getting paid out there to make plays, not mistakes. Yeah, and if not, there's only one person to put blame on, and that would be Bobby Cox for not making the cha- the the switch sooner to put Omar Infante at second and bring back Chipper Jones to, to third. Now, I don't know if you saw this or not, but after the uh, after the clinching victory game four, uh, Bobby Cox came out after the game and waved goodbye to his fans because it was his final, uh, final time as the skipper for the Braves. I thought it was really classy that the Giants stopped in their celebration and took the time to give an ovation to a man who has dedicated 29 years to managing a top talent team for year after year after year in uh, in that, and of course, being Bobby Cox. Yeah, you know, that shows you that maybe baseball players might have a little bit more respect and integrity than some of the other uh, sports athletes out there. But this this is just good for Bobby Cox and baseball in general. Uh, in my lifetime, there's only one other Man, manager that I can put on par with him, and that would be Joe Torre with the longevity and success. And I'm, I'm actually going to be sad because during the 90s, it was so great being a Cleveland fan to know that the Braves were always going to be there. They were sort of, I guess you could call them, closest thing to a rival as possible in the NLL. But 
I, I'm going to be sad, and it's going to be interesting to see how they change over from uh, Bobby Cox to their next manager and see if they can keep winning, keep with their success. Now, this series wasn't without its controversies. Game number one, we had a uh, pretty questionable safe call on a stolen base on second. Uh, gave us the memorable quote from Buster Posey after the game in the locker room where he said, I guess it's a good thing we don't have instant replay right now. I know that Bud Selig was, came down with a bit of heartburn after hearing that quote. It's baseball. It's going to be judgment calls. We can't sit there and actually bog it down with instant replay. The games are long enough. Buster Posey, Bud Selig, they'll, they'll figure it out sooner or later. You know, the, the home run calls those are fine with instant replay because some of those you don't have the guys right there but you you can't really you have nine innings so the the games are not going to be usually decided by that one call fair enough I, I i forget that you weren't here when we did our little debate on uh instant replay on the podcast as um i'm very much in favorite i'm very much in favorite of it i think there's i think there's systems that handle it that make it so it doesn't slow down the game any more than a team manager arguing a call would but uh, regardless of that it's just like you said the outcome of a game is rarely decided by a bad call i think there's times when there are bad calls that decide things in games like there's no doubt for example that uh andres or i'm sorry uh, not andres uh the galarago kid from detroit got robbed of a no hitter because of a bad call but to say that this game came down to a bad call, I think is unfair because you had nine innings to make something happen and you didn't. It came down to a 1-0 victory in a game where, to be fair, Lincecum pitched a complete game shutout. He had 14 strikeouts. He was absolutely on fire for nine innings. But at the same time, you got to put a bat on the ball or you're going to lose the game. So you can't really blame one bad call on a game where you failed to execute for eight innings. Uh, uh, I should say eight innings before that. No, I, I I definitely agree with that. So hopefully, hopefully people move on from this. It's not too much of a big deal. I I didn't didn't hear too much about it, uh, making waves or anything. So there was a uh, another questionable call in Game One of the Yankees Twins series, um, where what was deemed to be the final out was called a trap and the hit stood, even though. Uh, Replays kind of looked like it was a decent catch and it was an out. Uh, ultimately, uh, that led to uh, another batter coming up and getting the next out. Ultimately, did not change the outcome of the game, but uh, of course brought the instant replay into question again. Can I just say this? I think the technology is there for instant replay, but I personally think that you're going to take away from the purity of the game in that sports refereed by human beings and making those snap judgments and decisions I think gives it part of its character and its charm and personally I don't want to see that taken away although I do believe that technology is to the point where like you said it is not going to affect the time any more than you know managers questioning calls so I I kind of agree with both of you you know in the merits of both of a replay system and leaving it the way it is. Yeah, I, I, I personally think the character and the charm of the game of baseball is a vastly overrated commodity. Um, I don't know. You guys said something earlier to the point 
that the players seem to respect managers and and accomplishments more than any other sport. I kind of hearken that back to kind of the way that the whole system of baseball is run and in the game itself. Fair point. Fair point. I don't know that uh, I don't know that that's apples and apples in this case. I I don't know that uh, there's there's been people who have certainly been incensed by lack of respect uh, in players in other sports that you don't necessarily see in baseball. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody incensed because in other sports a play was over or a call was overturned because it was the wrong call. I think uh, I, I, I think when it comes to the integrity of the game, um, it, it's definitely best served by getting calls right rather than getting them handled as I don't know as as conveniently as possible. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just I, I, I feel that there's a certain amount of uh, feet dragging that leaves a bad taste in the mouth of people who are burned by calls that are made improperly at the time of the play. Thankfully, I guess we, we we don't have to deal with that. You know, we're we're just on the on the sideline, making those judgments on figuring out where where they need to be, whether it keeps it into just the human judgment or the uh, instant replay. I, I I won't say that I won't be against instant replay. It's just going to be a time issue. I know uh, we talked about, or you guys talked about it previously in a different podcast. I think about uh, replay in soccer with the FIFA and everything. So sure. if it, if replay is done right, it can't work. How far though do you go with technology? Because I, my point would be that I think having, you know, human umpires that make human mistakes is part of the game. And I'll use the point, for example, we have the technology now where we could put RFID tags in a ball. We could have computers that visually calculate the distance between the kneecaps and the, you know, the mid chest or wherever the strike zone is at of players and completely eliminate umpires entirely from the system. The technology is there to do that. And in your point, you would get the call right every time, but it would take that human element out of the game, in my opinion, and it would take some of the charm and the character out of the game. That was kind of what I was going to me, the human element in an umpire that makes it entertaining is the flair and uh, enthusiasm they have when making the calls, not as much the accuracy or inaccuracy of the calls. So if, I don't care if you want to measure the strike zone electronically and feed it into an umpire who still makes the call. I'm cool with that. Just have the guy in there throwing the signals and sounding like an idiot. That's cool by me. The 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 uh, of course the uh, computer would never be able to argue with a manager and kick him out of the game, so that's that's something we'd have to come up with a workaround for. I don't know. It would kind of be cool to have that Stephen Hawking voice that kind of came out and started yelling back, "You're out of here." That'd be, <laughs> kind, of, that'd be kind of funny. No, it's okay. I I kind of agree with with you, Bob, in in that sense that it it would be nice to to have it all electronic and everything, but it the human element it, it seems a little artificial uh like kind of like the uh, computers in ncaa with with uh, the ratings of strength of schedule sometimes it just seems way too artificial like it's trying too hard like you can put whatever input into it and based on whatever what 
formula you want, someone will tinker with it. I, I think there's a huge so difference I can see between that the, becoming a part of the game. I, I think there's a huge difference between the objective determining of a strike or a ball versus the subjective determining of number one or number two best teams in the country. I think it's I think it's a somewhat unfair comparison because balls and strikes are black and white. Number one and number two are shades of gray. Well, if you ask that to players, that might they might not be so black and white. I mean, there are aren't there major league umpires that have consistently small strike zones or consistently call you know, strikes that are not a traditional strike. So, I mean, there's some su- subjectivity to that as well. Sure. But the question is, should there be? I don't know. I, I have no problem with it. <laughs> what Bob was saying about consistency, that's that's all the players always talk about when, when they're talking about umpires is they want it consistent for each team. You know, it doesn't have to be that, that black and white. It can be a little gray where they position stuff which balls and strike as long as the guy is consistently calling it on the outside or on the inside or high or low or or shrink down their zones and to your point a computer will consistently call the same strike zone but that's not stretching the batters to adjust to the conditions of the game too and i think that's part of the game as well is learning okay where's this guy strike zone at how do i have to adjust my approach at the bat to connect with the ball when these things may or may not be strikes to another umpire. I, I think that's kind of what I was talking about, the character that you get removed when you have that completely, you know, you remove the human element. Now, to be to be clear, I am not necessarily pushing for a computer-generated strike zone. That was, uh, that was just an idea that I don't necessarily think is a bad idea. Um, I, I think it's a bit overkill for what we need, but I definitely think that Plays at the bag should be reviewable. And I think uh, a system similar to what the NFL has, where managers are, are given an allotted amount of reviews, maybe two in a game, maybe one in a game. Maybe you can't make any reviews in the eighth or ninth inning uh, because that would have to be dictated by somebody up in the booth. And uh, the, the replays have to be judged by, maybe they're judged by somebody in the booth and the person on the field doesn't even have to go over to a booth and you know watch the video. I think there's ways that you can handle it that it doesn't slow down the game at all and it helps you get, uh, get calls right. I don't know. Ultimately, Bud Selig is the guy who has the say in the matter and there actually have been polls with players, anonymous polls with players that indicate that baseball players are not overwhelmingly in favor of having instant replay. Uh, I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that bear, players always hold out hope that a wrong call can be made in their favor just as likely as it can be made against them. So we're moving on to the uh, National League Championship Series, which is going to pit the Philadelphia Phillies against the San Francisco Giants. Um, I I put the over-under on average runs scored per game at three. I don't see many games going more than three runs. That should be a monumental pitching duel between two teams with some great, great pitching staffs. Oh, yeah. If you're expecting to have uh, uh, any games over seven runs, you, m- you might get the one anomaly game there that you're going to have that seven, six, seven, five game. But I, I agree with you with that. It- it's going to be which pitchers can get the most out of themselves and sort of push their team towards the victory. It's going to be a bad series. You know who it's going to be a bad series for? It's going to be a bad series for relief pitchers. They're going to be they're going to be robbed of their moment in the spotlight. 
but as a manager, you don't want them in there. You know, oh, no, you don't. in all honesty. Their families are going to be upset, though. I think their families would be okay if they won a World Series ring because of it. <laughs> whether yeah, whether they right. were too involved or not involved enough. You're right. The the interesting thing I think is that throughout the entire first round of the playoffs, the team that has advanced that uh, the only team that's advanced that I don't really consider pitching a strength for is the Yankees. As as much as the names they have in their lineup are great, um, if they would have been playing against a team with a better offense, I'm not sure that they're in the second round. They uh, they just. You know, they just had what it, they definitely had what it take to knock off Minnesota. There's no question about that. The series was never really in question. But uh, if they'd have drawn, you know, Tampa in the first round, or if they'd have drawn uh, Cincinnati or Philadelphia in the first round, I, I, I don't think they made. I don't think they made it on. I think the only one that they would have might have had a problem with was Texas, uh, just because of the fact that. Tampa, their first two games, they struggled. They were not getting any offense from really Crawford, Pena, or Evan Longoria. So, I, I don't, as much as I don't like the Yankees, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Any any day of the week, give me Pettit, give me CeCe. If they're on, they're going to be just as tough to beat as a Cole Hamels, as a Cliff Lee, as a Roy Holiday. It's just a matter of them pitching to form. Sure. I guess my I guess my point more isn't the fact that they don't have the capability to do that. It's just that I didn't personally see it in this series. I didn't feel like their pitching was outstanding, whereas I felt when I was watching it that Texas has had outstanding pitching. Uh, Philadelphia's had outstanding pitching. San Francisco's had outstanding pitching. The uh, the teams the teams that have had better pitching than them have moved on, and I think that every team that's had as good a pitching or worse than they have has lost. So they were in a situation where if they would have just drawn a different uh, different matchup, and yeah, t- Texas is probably a good point. If they'd have played Texas in the first round, I don't know that they'd be in the NLCS or ALCS. Yeah, but the, the Yankees in themselves are one of the teams that are are not just your normal team. Yeah, they have okay pitching. But they have a phenomenal offense that with Teixeira, uh, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, those guys can win you games, which compared to, like a, a, again, a Tampa Bay or a Philadelphia to an extent, especially Minnesota, uh, you know, they didn't have the offense as a luxury in that sense. Sure, yeah, and definitely the Yankees force you into uh, a situation where you have to pitch well. Otherwise, they will put up runs uh, by the dozen. So uh, they, they definitely have the ability to win. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that if they face Texas in the next round, they don't have a chance to win because they absolutely do. I just didn't see a lot from them in the first round that had me too impressed. I don't know. I guess it's not how you win at this point as long as you win so ho- hopefully they for for them that they get up and, and play to their best capabilities in, in the next round depending on who they no matter oh, who and they, they play they will yeah and, and hopefully it's a, it's a good series because that's all that's all we want as, as fans we want good series like the first the, you know the new york the philadelphia win and even even the san francisco win Okay, yeah, they, they swept them, or they was there was no contention to it. So I'm I'm actually sad that we're missing out on the Texas Tampa Bay game. 
Yeah. Yeah, the the really the only excitement that came out of the Minnesota New York series uh obviously except for Yankees fans would be the uh the, the questionable calls that happened in a couple of the games. Other than that, there was uh not a whole lot of interest going on. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's a problem for for baseball in general and we hear talks every once in a while about opening it up and adding more more teams to the, to the playoff picture and if we're talking now about how watered down it, it possibly is, could, could it actually get worse if that becomes a, a you know a probable scenario? If, if it would they absolutely, add another absolutely two, uh, get worse. It would absolutely get worse. I personally think that the number of teams in the Major League Baseball playoffs is perfect. I think that sometimes we go about the wrong method of picking which teams those are. There's been uh, several instances in the past couple of years where division winners have made the playoffs, even though there were teams that did not win their division that had significantly better records. But, uh, you know, unfortunately that's just the nature of the beast. You have to reward teams for doing the best they can and uh, finishing ahead of all their uh, competition. Yeah, you have to have some sort of structure, unfortunately. Or who knows, the entire AL East could be in the playoffs right now. Yeah, I I actually think the Red Sox, if they did go with that structure... uh, well, no, I don't know who the Red Sox would have been in ahead of. I think I know Minnesota finished better than they did. I don't know if Texas did or not. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not saying this year, but there have been years in past where you have one division. I know the NL Central sometimes where it just it's so much more competitive than the other ones that you have like those top three teams fighting for just those two spots. Moving on to the world of football, of course, all the major news this week seem to focus around the Minnesota Vikings. I know there's 31 other teams in the NFL, but uh, they're the they're the topic of discussion. Randy Moss moving to Minnesota. Do you think it's a huge impact? Yeah, as as long as uh, Brett Favre doesn't get distracted and keeps his gunslinger mentality, I, I think it's a good acquisition for him in the long run. W- will they actually be able to pull anything off? I don't know. Right now they're ranked the uh, 21st overall passing team in, in the league. Uh, so, so that Randy Moss should improve on that. But they have a, a tough stretch. They have Dallas, Green Bay, New England, Arizona, Chicago, and Green Bay again. That, that's that's a tough stretch, and they're one and three. Will, will they be able to turn it around and and actually pull anything off? And the NFC North is very competitive this year, outside of Detroit and right now Minnesota. So I I, I can see them pushing to to be a better team, but they have to. It has to start now for them to have any hope of making the playoffs. Yeah, and I don't even know that you can necessarily discount the effort of the Detroit Lions because I mean, what they put up forty four points this week. So ultimately, adding Randy Moss has got to be a good move for their offense. Uh, Brett Favre has definitely had a lack of targets that he could throw at consistently. Even uh, even his top receivers have been in and out of the lineup. Um, so uh, it should bring some stability to the passing game. But at the same time, that offense always has and always will run through all day Adrian Peterson. And if he's not getting success on the ground, the team will live and die by that. Yeah, you you know I've talked about it before. Is where where is Adrian Peterson? They've they've been using him this year, but unfortunately, Favre has kind of been shooting the entire organization his foot from his actual inconsistent passing with his with his actual gunslinger mentality. You know they were in that game until until he threw the pick six. So as much as you you don't want to say he lost the game, he lost the game. You know his actions, his interception, totally lost that game. 
I don't know that there's for all the more wonderful, amazing things that Brett Favre has done in his career. I don't know that there's another quarterback in the history of the NFL who has thrown interceptions at inopportune times more often than Brett Favre. Yeah, and and I don't know if you could say say he didn't come back this year. Would they have been any worse off with Tavares Jackson? They would can, be can you probably. Say that? I don't. I don't know. They would probably be one and three, which is yeah, exactly. right where they are. So and and maybe they don't trade for for a Randy Moss and, and see where they go. I know they talked about this during the, the telecast, but how how big of a deal is it that they don't have Chester, Chester Taylor this year? You know, he was the productive third down back on their team last year. This year they they really don't have that go to, you know, third down option. Yeah, Peterson's in there, but you're going to be looking for him. Sure. Sure, and it's never it's never good to have an offense where you you're able to as a defense when you're game planning you're able to key in on one guy, and uh, I I think that's what they have right now, and that's why the addition of Randy Moss makes so much sense because when you've got a receiver who is such a deep threat, um, it, it's got to put your safeties back a couple of feet, if not you know if not several yards, uh, ready to drop into double coverage if he uh, if he runs a runs a, a long a deep route. So I, I think when you're pulling those safeties a little bit further out the line of scrimmage, Adrian Peterson gets better, Brett Favre gets better because he has a target and he's got uh, he's got underneath passes that are more wide open because again those safeties are back a little bit further off the line of scrimmage. So I, I don't think there's any way that his acquisition makes them worse. The thing that I'm concerned about with the Minnesota Vikings is that this move to me says that more than anything they've done is that the Minnesota Vikings are a win-now mentality, and it's currently not working. So I, I, I have a feeling that we're going to end up with uh, you know, a situation you know, like we did in, in Cleveland where you have the capability to win, but if you don't do it now, it's going to fall apart faster than you can blink your eye. And of course, when I say Cleveland, I meant the Cavaliers, not the not the Browns. Yeah, who the Browns? Oh yeah, that that shell of an organization for the past ten years. But you know, this is the same unfortunate dysfunctional team that we were talking about a few years ago that was having parties out on you know the yachts and stuff. So I don't I don't know if they're the most focused organization or the most well run organization. Uh, hopefully for them this is the last year of Brett Favre and they can move on, whether it be with Tavares Jackson or if they get a high enough draft pick to get like an Andrew Luck or a Jake Locker, you know, a good college quarterback that they can build around. Kellen Moore, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna have high stock in the NFL draft. I can see him being a system quarterback though. Uh, that's entirely possible, but. I, I felt the same way about Sam Bradford, and uh, he has looked a lot better in the early goings than I really expected him to be. He may not end up being that bad of a quarterback after all. Well, we'll see how he does without uh, Mark Clayton there. And, of course, there's always the possibility that Brett Favre may miss some time if there is anything that comes out of this NFL investigation into his sexting scandal with Jennifer Sturger, of the, formerly of the New York Jets. By the way, I hate the term sexting. You you don't like sexting? How about how about how about drixting? Driving while texting? That's another bad one. Uh, you know what? From the what, people who bought you, Brangelina. At, at this point, yeah, the mashup words. But the the Jen Sturger, if if I have this correctly, is the same girl that uh, went to FSU who you saw at all these FSU games, like front row and center, like 
completely ridiculous looking, you know, a, a girl who's out there for attention. So she maybe she got something that she didn't want in, in that sense. But I, I don't know if you if you have access to these these players, I, I want to know like what what type of outfit was she wearing was it business appropriate when they were you know when she was covering them and she's not from everything i i know she doesn't even seem to be like a reporter or anything no i i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure what exactly the outfit has to be that makes uh sending pictures of your man region appropriate but uh I, i'm fairly positive that she was not wearing those clothes whatever they were <laughs> But at the same time, yeah, she's. I don't know. She, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes. Jen Jen Serger is, of course, the the uh, the FSU student who was made famous by Brent Musburger in his uh, now infamous statement that after showing her on camera, thousands of people just applied to attend Florida State University. Uh, exactly. So. Good recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> uh, recruiting you know, by cameraman. Exactly. Brent, Brent Musburger is the next one to be alleged for NCAA involvement. Uh, but th- th- this whole thing, like how many other celebrities or athletes have we seen this go? We, we've had like the Grady Sizemore incident with the Greg Oden incident. There's all these people just being people. And because they're out in the open, that they have, they get in trouble that way. So it's it's something that they need to realize that they shouldn't be doing this stuff. I, I I've heard a lot of negative statements um, around the around the different uh, blogs and uh, forums and stuff like that, kind of belittling Jen Jen Sturger for being an attention hound and. Um, just kind of putting all this out there for the publicity that it, that it will bring her. But um, it, to anybody who followed this story when it first hit, um, I was personally a little offended at the way this was originally reported because the, the reporter who brought this story to light uh, had had some conversations off the record with Jen Sturger about the incidents uh, in question and she had had made it very specific to him in the past that she wanted these things kept private and she did not want to go through the backlash that would come around if these things got public she made a statement at one point in time when she was pressured uh that she might consider going public with this and uh the person who who got that uh who put the pressure on and and got the uh half committal um basically said you have until this time to reply and if you don't I'm running the story, and he ran the story. So I, I, I think the the tendency that we have to just assume that this woman is out there to to make uh, to make a scene and make herself more well known because of the story is is a little misguided because she's not the one who broke the story. She didn't come out and give this information voluntarily to the media. It was an off record conversation that made its way on record and. Uh, I just I, I think it's irresponsible reporting that, that broke this whole story, but uh, if it 
<laughs> if it ends up getting Brett Favre run out of the league, I'm all for it. I, I can't fault you for that. You know, it, it definitely is just kind of a shady thing all all around. Uh, from the article that I read or heard about was that it, this didn't happen recently. It happened, uh, you know, a, a year or two ago. So it's not anything that's right now. It's just something, like you said, like she was telling uh, to, to someone else, which kind of puts her back in the spotlight. You have to watch what you're saying around certain people, especially if they want – you know, if if they want to get their name out there in the public, being like, "Hey, I'm that person. I want I want to use you to get where I want to go." And honestly, I actually specifically, I specifically know the name of the person who put who applied the pressure and uh, and and made the report. And uh, I actually refuse to utter it because of the fact that I think what he did in this scenario was uh, beyond questionable and uh, not deserving of any recognition. No, and I agree with you that that's that's just shoddy journalism, and we have enough of those hack jobs out there as it is. Why do we need to be reporting this in the first place? Right. That's why I can proudly say that we on Sports on Point will probably never ever break a story, and uh, even if we did, I'm sure that uh, we would have our facts straight before we did. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show and comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. And you can call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you stay tuned next week for the complete Sports on Point NBA preview edition. We hope you all tune in and look forward to getting back to you next week.